How's it going? What is up? How you doing? Welcome to another episode of Not Rocket Science Podcast, the show that talks about the intersectional relationship between business, culture, and technologic. How you guys doing? Hope you are surviving and thriving because... It has been pure survival mode out here in the northeast New York City. It is a hot soup right now. It has been the worst heat wave of the year so far. And it was 100 degrees two days in a row. I was at my parents' house in Jersey in the suburbs. Just worse. No water. Some shoddy ACs. I could sleep in certain rooms and be in certain rooms and the AC was good. Other rooms, like my bedroom, for instance, not so good. It was leaking water. Never good when your air conditioner leaks water. So, yeah, I was sticking it out. It was sweaty. Uh, Now, today was a torrential downpour. So, tons of people got caught in the rain. The trains were down. Bit of a mess. Bit of a mess today here in New York, so hopefully wherever you are, it's going a little more smoothly, um, but yeah, how you doing? So, so, this episode, I don't know where I'm going to go, I don't really have like a, a concrete theme this week, I've been, it's been kind of like an introspective week for me, I've been kind of uh, jumping back into things that I'd abandoned for years in some cases, in many cases. I don't know. Um, I read this book over the course of last week. Really short book. Really good book. And it kind of opened my mind back up to like tapping more into the creative side of me. I feel like, I don't know. At a certain point in life when you're just working like crazy, even if your work is somewhat creative, you get into this kind of like grown-up rut of creativity where because you're commuting every day and there's a sameness to that and you're working at a job every day and there's an obvious sameness to that your creativity can be stunted and I don't necessarily mean creativity even like your artwork that you do on the side or or your guitar playing whatever it may be I don't even mean necessarily your creativity with a trade I just mean your overall mindset like that imagination you had when you were a kid that slipped away when you started working for the man started buying them shirts at Joseph A. Bank and sweating through them in the middle of summer hating your life 
I'm just kidding about that last part. But you know what I'm saying. The uh, perils of being an adult tend to uh, numb that creative spirit and imagination a little. And I think something to do with going back to my parents' house, sleeping in my like child or trying to sleep in my childhood bed, but then moving moving to my parents' bed because the AC works better, whatever. Whatever. Point is, is when you kind of tap back into that childhood, there's something that happens where you just kind of go down this nostalgic path. And I think it's because I read this book that I'm about to get to in one second, uh, it just kind of created this like, Reharnessing of creative energy in a way. Ugh, I hate the way that that sounded way too hippy dippy. But I don't know. I felt that I was watching. Um, I was watching this band. So that little kid from Stranger Things with the the one that needs a haircut. The fuck is oh Mike Mike from Stranger Things? That kid's in a band in real life, and it's crazy. I was like reading about it. Um the fuck's their name calpurnia is their name and it's basically these three kids and this girl and the girl's like a prodigy at guitar and obviously she's holding back she knows there's no way she doesn't know she's a much better musician than the rest of them and she's kind of like carrying them a bit but uh, anyway, because she's in another band with two really good musicians where she's not carrying them at all, and it makes all the difference. But um, anyway, I read up on them and how they like went to some rock camp in Vancouver, and I remember it made me like remember going to rock camps in California when I was like 14, 15. And then I was listening to all these bands that I hadn't listened to in like 10 years. Trippy weekend. It was like a trip down my childhood but anyway what all sparked it was a book that i read last week called the 46 rules of genius by marty newmeyer fantastic book it's more like a guide than a book it's a really short book it's probably a hundred pages or so 140 so it's 140 pages, but you know, you know how books are with the page numbers. There's like the intro and the epilogue. There's like all that miscellaneous stuff that takes up page numbers that aren't really part of the book. No one reads those. Come on now. Um. Anyway, it's super short. I read it on the train on my commute in two days. Goes to show how short it is, but it's great because what it is is it kind of like takes things you already kind of know about yourself already but he just writes it in a way that contextualizes it and articulates it in a way that's very just readable and digestible um but basically all it is is 46 rules so he has like 46 subheaders and then an explanation of the header which is the rule and i'll just go through real quick like some of them it's like wish for what you want which is about setting up a framework to like write down your goals and set off achieving them or feel before you think or uh express related elements in a similar manner match form to function function to form i'm gonna get that to that one in a second uh keep a hero file Use dynamic process for reactive elements. Anyway, 
Anyway, the point being, I don't know if that sold it very well, but the point being is the book itself is actually very good. And the two things that struck a chord with me the most, I would say, is one, he talks about this area called the Dragon Pit. And what the Dragon Pit is, is this place between knowing what exists and knowing what could potentially be. And it's this weird in-between space where it's like when you have an innovative idea it's that thought process of like vetting the idea thinking about what already exists what already is being done and what differentiates this concept in your head maybe the concept isn't even fully crystallized you know what I mean um and he talks about making an effort to stay in that mode and not sway too far one way or the other too much in this just all the time pragmatic grounded in reality mode or on the flip side in this like hippy dippy avant-garde ideological only based mode it's being in the sweet spot between the two to kind of let your imagination run wild but also keep tabs on what's already out there and it's like the battle to stay in this kind of dragon pit mindset is uh one of the things that resonated with me because when it comes to business, a lot of the times for creative business especially, one one of the most common themes is trying to sell an idea to someone and they don't really see it because it doesn't really exist yet and they shy away from it because it's too risky. Like, one principle that I a thousand percent believe in in business is people are way more risk averse than they probably should be. And most businesses, if you want to like talk about what Gary Vee says, like playing offense versus playing defense, a lot of companies, particularly ones that aren't the most innovative as far as growth goes tend to stagnate because they are always defensive because they're always risk averse because they're always afraid of risk because they are afraid to be wrong essentially so when you bring something new to the table that isn't quite in existence yet um, there's an automatic level of risk applied to that, and it's very hard to sell the opportunity. And it's this ongoing battle between like creative people versus. I mean, I think everyone. I hate this whole like labeling of like I'm a creative, you're a suit. Like it's it's stupid. Everyone can be creative, but but within a company and within different departments and all the politics that could potentially go into different departments, sometimes there is a conditioning effect on certain people and that's just not based based on whether you're in a quote-unquote creative department or not it's also whether you're on a senior management team or a non-senior management team or a c-suite the higher up the chain you get you're the more conservative you often get too. kind of like video games when you play madden you always go for it on fourth down you don't see nfl head coaches going for it on fourth down why risk same thing um but it's interesting to me to read more from the creative side like how 
we all know that you have to be risky to innovate. You have to be risky when you invest to, to hit those monster, monster, monster unicorn stocks. Um, you know, no risk, no reward. So it's funny to see this dynamic of fear and stagnation due to the fear of risk be carried through even when it comes to creativity it's like you want to stay in that slightly risky but not overly risky and unrealistic mindset when it comes to creative pursuits and yeah he refers to that as the dragon pit i'm gonna call it the gravel pit check out my gravel pit Wu-Tang is the CD that I travel with. I don't know. It just reminded me of that song. If you don't know. Gravel Pit. Wu-Tang. Killer bees on the swarm. So that's one thing that stood out to me in this book. The other, which I alluded to earlier, is this idea of form follow function, function follow form. Now, what's interesting about that is the second part. Uh, I'm in the design community, whatever the hell that is. Uh, I've gone to meetups. I follow a ton of design, quote-unquote, influencers or big accounts on social media. I unfortunately still sometimes check out comments on posts. And I don't know, man. Like, the designers that I know in real life people that I have real life relationships with really smart really sharp people people that make me often feel dumb in a lot of cases honestly the level of like intellect from the community of designers that I know and just like overall just being sharp it's disproportionately high compared to other groups of people I know like most designers that work at product companies, at least in New York City, are pretty damn sharp. But on the flip side, when I go to social media and I look at the comment section on some of these posts that are like the same thing I always bitch and complain about on Instagram where it's like people trying to educate, which is fine in itself, but they always just spew the same old bullshit 101 points about like always research before you put pencil to paper and like form design 101 basics and it's all these people just parroting the same concepts without any level of granularity to what they're talking about over and over again and everyone in the comment section either clapping if you say the right generic thing or if you try to be a tad controversial, everyone just gets up in arms about it. It's as if in design or music or whatever, it's like as if everything has already been figured out. And these rules of thumb are always 100% right, even though there's actual examples of the opposite being true. So when it comes to form follows function, look, Overall, yes, I agree. It's a good rule of thumb. If you're designing anything complex, a complex app, trying to work at a startup that's doing some complex blockchain platform, whatever. Yes, your 
forms should follow the function. You should always start with wireframes, yada, yada, yada. But there's this dude, Rand Siegel, who in the design community is kind of a big name. Um, he had a post today where he was talking about, like, basically when should you design from an overly functional standpoint versus, you know, being creative and kind of doing that, like, bleeding edge web design with the crazy scroll effects and stuff that is fun, interesting, wacky, forward thinking, maybe not the most usable. And if you go to awards.com, A-W-W-W-A-R-D-S.com, you'll see what he's talking about. There's all these sites out there that are just pushing the boundaries of web design, not necessarily trying to have the best user experience, not trying to build the most usable site or the most intuitive site, but just trying trying some flashy bullshit out, you know, taking a stab at it. It's not too dissimilar to what a lot of like streetwear artists try to do here and there, Virgil Abloh, people like that. Um, and he just got grilled. It's like, this should never even be a choice. Form and function should always coexist, and the art of that balance is what makes blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, I'm like, shut the fuck. You know what he's saying. You know what he's saying. Stop doing this, like, semantics battle with him. It's so frustrating. This whole parroting of, like, form should always follow function, and it should always be a blend, and that's what creates great user experience, because no one ever wants to go to a website that doesn't work. It's like, sort of, but... These award sites, like, are what clients want half the time. Clients want that flashy shit sometimes, and you got to give them what they want. They don't care about your fucking usability studies. Hate to break it to you guys. I've worked with freelance, as freelancer, with clients. Some clients don't give a shit about your user research. It's just the nature of the beast. And you know what? If you're a thriving businessman, you're the best lead generator of all time, screw them. You can dump those clients. doesn't matter. But if it's your first client and they got you on, uh, or you got them on retainer, you're going to do what they want. So sometimes you just got to try to make shit pretty and that's it. Take that check. It's not the right thing to do. It's not the most fulfilling work, but... It's reality when you're starting out, okay? But not only that, there's plenty of times in the history of design where function has followed form. Look at high heels, for example. Those things are a terrible experience to wear. So I hear. So I hear. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I think I actually, just for the experience, tried putting on um, when I was a teenager like my sister's high heels with with her she was watching it uh just to like see what the deal was i couldn't even put my foot in that those fucking things i don't know how girls walk on high heels i don't understand it i do not understand it i mean hats off to you but i i literally don't understand how you can sustain that at all other than like from your front door to your sidewalk But seriously, high heels is an obvious example 
of function following form. Here's another one. Lamborghini. Not so much now, but in the 80s, that's when Lamborghini really rose to prominence because their car designs, the bodies were insane. They looked like little spaceships, right? Lamborghini Countach was the classic 80s Lamborghini. In the, in the 90s, it was the Diablo, but in the 80s, like Miami Vice era, the Lamborghini of that time was the Countach. The Countach is arguably the least drivable car of all time. It was undrivable car of all time. The rear view mirror didn't angle right. The back window, you couldn't even see through your back window because it was so small and angled so aerodynamically. You couldn't even see it, especially if you had one of those spoilers. You could not even see what was behind you when you were driving it. The speedometer was weird. All the dials, all the buttons were labeled wrong incorrectly. They were basically a textbook example of bad UX. But that car, other than maybe the DeLorean because of the Back to the Future boost, the Lamborghini Countach might be the most 80s car of the 80s. It might be the car that is the most synonymous with 80s culture, maybe. At least as far as the high-end luxury cars go, definitely. The only other car that's even close, in my opinion, is uh, is like a Porsche 911 Carrera with the big-ass spoiler. But, uh, yeah, Lamborghini got famous off of function-following form. Not form-following function. And uh, I get it, because in UX, you want, you're trying to build things to scale which means you're probably designing a toyota corolla and not a lamborghini countach but my point is there's room for everything every design's a case-by-case basis look there's some sloppy shit going on with those 80s lamborghinis that i cannot forgive at all but the point is sometimes if you're really going for broke you're really trying to use your look to be the differentiator to make your business stand out Sometimes you got to sacrifice. And I don't see a problem with that. As a user experience designer, I don't see a problem with that at all, really. But it depends. You better have a good use case. You better, the, the form that you're making better be on some next level shit the way 80s Lamborghini Countach is. I wish this was like a show so I could show you guys a model. But look it up. Lamborghini, I don't know how to spell Lamborghini off the top of my head, but I think Countach is C-O-U-N-T-A-C-H, something like that. Um, but check out, there's actually a great video that act, that goes way in depth on all this. This is how I learned about it. Um, if you were just YouTube, Lamborghini, Countach, yeah, it's Count A-C-H. The first video called Here's Why the Lamborghini Countach is Worth $300,000 by Doug DeMuro on YouTube. Watch that video. He breaks all of it down. He explains exactly why it is an unusable car despite its popularity. And uh, it's really eye-opening. And in this book, to tie it back to the 46 Rules of Genius, 
he basically says that. He says, break the rules when you see an opportunity for them to be broken. Don't follow the same old generic shit that everyone else follows. But, you know, be strategic about what you're doing. Don't go crazy and make some crazy design that's unintuitive and too weird for anyone to adopt. Like, you better know that your design is the shit if you have to sacrifice function on some level. Um, but he's all about, his whole his whole take is just break the rules, mix things up, see what happens. And definitely don't be boring. And I can't really disagree on any of those. But So this is what he says. Match form to function, function to form. Form doesn't always follow function. Sometimes it works the other way around. The rule is simply this. Form and function should be inseparable. When the shape of something matches its intended purpose, the marriage seems inevitable, as if no other combination could exist. This is the rightness component of beauty, the quality that sends clear signals of authenticity, integrity, honest, and wholeness. So yeah, he's on this kick of how good design, it doesn't matter if form follows function if, or function following form. If it hits on sending these certain signals or like invoking these feelings of authenticity, integrity, honest, wholeness, newness, um, then that is how you define what good design is. And it's something that's almost like visceral. You feel it from within. It's not something you analyze and conclude whether it is or not. And uh, I agree wholeheartedly. I don't think there's a perfect path to get there. I do think in most situations, form following functions a good principle to take if you're building things particularly that's going to be used by lots of different people from lots of different backgrounds with you know lots of different upbringings and thoughts on how to use something based on the conditioning of how they were raised. But there's no blueprint for this shit. Everything is on a case-by-case basis. That's at least how I look at it. Anyway, um, if you want to learn more about this book, I don't know how well I sold it in this episode, to be honest, but it is really, really good, really easy to read, not daunting at all. Um, It's just kind of like a good pamphlet, just like when you're in a rut, if you have writer's block or whatever, just pick it up, read it. I guarantee you, you will get some sort of creative jolt on some level from it. Maybe uh, drink some Red Bulls and read it, and you might spend an all-nighter writing the next great novel or script or whatever. I don't know. I don't I don't think. Point is, read this, do some cocaine, and you will be a creative genius in no time. Right? Right. All right. Kidding. Kidding, guys. Kidding. <sighs> That's it for me. I'm going to wrap this up. Um... Write questions, comments, hit us up at notrocketscienceshow at gmail.com or on the newly redesigned Twitter. Guys, see that? Did you see it? I kind of like it. I dig it so far. Twitter or Instagram, who might be taking away public likes soon, which I'm all for. Hit us up on either of those at NRS underscore show. And that is it. So... That's all I got. Hope you guys got something out of this. I highly recommend picking up the book. Again, it's The 46 Rules of Creative Genius by Marty Neumeyer, also writer of The Brand Gap, which is another really good book. 
Um, pick it up. I got it used on Amazon for like $6.90. So not very expensive. Um, all right. I'll see you guys next week. Thanks. Peace.